I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Didn't even lose a kidney, did you? There's your intro. Didn't even lose a kidney. Unlike Liverpool this season, welcome back. TF3 on the first weekend of football back in the Premier League and that's why we're back sure we could have covered the championship but there's other people that do that well I'm looking at you Channel 5 um, anyway Chris is here tonight Chris it's good to have you good to be had uh, it's good to have Nico as well thanks for having me and of course Statman Dave mmm uh, Dave does anyone, just call you, does anyone call you Statman ever no not really uh, Dave, Dave. Yeah, Dave, Dave. Yeah, I suppose Dave. Do, do, what do they call you on TFR? Uh, TF, yeah, TFR. I don't know. You used to call me Dave on that, right? Did you? Did they refer to me as the, the stat man, though. That was that was when you were uh, when the company that shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> you were owned by them. Yeah, yeah. What? Um, Nestle. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Walkers. Yeah. Bird noise, Dave. <laughs> Walkers, Dave. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, there's plenty to talk about tonight. We're going to go through your tweets. We're going to go through all the Premier League action. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Supercoppa Ronaldo. We're going to talk a lot about Italy. Um, of course, I don't think, but has anything happened in Bundesliga yet, guys? No, it's not kicked off. There's a DF, DFP Pugel, um, like first qualifying round or first round this weekend. Yeah. So, games, yep. Bayern played and Dortmund played, but the, the Bundesliga is next week, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Bundesliga starts next week uh, and there's plenty more to come. But uh, let's go down to it in the league and talk about Chelsea Burnley first. Guys, uh, Chelsea are the only uh, only the second reigning Premier League champions to lose the opening game the following campaign. Leicester obviously did it as well. Um, Dave, we, we didn't watch this one live, uh, but we sort of got live updates on it. Um, <laughs> and it was, it really was... Um, it was, it was an interesting game. A lot of the power shifted as soon as the, the first red. Yeah, it was interesting how good Brian's imagination is. It's, it's absolutely incredible. We mean the, yeah. the true Geordie, of course. He's just got an Squawker incredible Geordie, as we used to call him. Before <laughs> yeah. his big move. I think yeah. the, the thing with Chelsea was the Gary Cahill, obviously the, the red card. And then I didn't think Conte managed that situation very well, bringing on Christensen going for you know sort of keeping the back three where he could have maybe switched to a four and then kept the numbers in midfield and still dominated possession of the football so it was a bit of a weird one um, but that caused a lot of problems for Chelsea and then obviously the the later red card for Fabregas killed the game but it, it, you know between that 
what did Burnley do? They just did things simple um, against a you know a three-five-two, should we say that Chelsea or a three sort of four uh, one one that Chelsea sort of switched to they just overload the flanks it's 2v1 you look at all the Burnley goals they all come from fullbacks um, either scoring or crossing the ball and that was because there was constant overloads out wide it was a again it was simple it was simple from Sean Dyche to to sort of attack Chelsea where they were so weak just double up on the flanks you know they had Willian patrolling around that area but he wasn't sticking to a flank and defending a flank you look at the space that Loughton got both goals no, it's a, it's one of those things like I mentioned on the the uh, the show that we did together, Lawrence, on on Saturday. Football's a simple game; it's just a numbers game, and that's exactly what Burnley did. And it was too much for Chelsea. What I really liked was, though, it yeah. would have been really tempting just to throw the ball in there. Like, just they had a lot of. I noticed there was set pieces, free kicks, where convention would suggest just put the ball in, maybe arc it nice and high, whatever, and just to hope that you win the, the aerial battle. But actually, there was a number of instances where Burnley took them short and tried to bring it closer and had a, a little bit of you know complication to, to what was ultimately a simple move. And I thought it was quite interesting to, to see them do that because I, I do wonder, and it's something only Dyche shall know, if in taking those short free kicks, it was to disturb the Chelsea back line and essentially pull them out of place. Because I, I want to say it was the third goal, maybe, the, the header um, from, I think it's Vokes, where it's just completely free. And you have to wonder if that's partly because this Chelsea back line's waiting for the ball to come in and they're all prepared. And then when it goes short, they all kind of just scatter a little bit and, and lose the rhythm they had built up waiting for the free kick to come in. Yeah, they also look sort of, uh, I mean, uh, by the way, the whole internet needs to jump on the meme of Stay Vokes, folks. Um, just make it happen. Um, maybe not. Uh, there's also obviously um, that this Chelsea team looks different, Dave when they brought Morata on and you, you weirdly you almost think why didn't he start because he looked he was so impactful uh, you know obviously getting the goal um, and then getting the I think it was the assist for the second and also having that ruled off goal there's a lot of influence that he had out there and you wonder the week before why Conte made some of those comments about his lack of physicality etc um, it's unusual and people making the, the uh, banking out there's sort of an idea that he's trying to politically play a little bit with Chelsea's hierarchy trying to prove a point possibly and maybe dangerously going down a similar route to the one that Mourinho went down, um, which, which is unusual uh, because he said he was almost wanting to do the opposite. Yeah, I think it was a it was a strange one to. I don't know. I think it was the, the correct decision. Bashwai has been playing really well in preseason, and kind of it was fair for Bashwai to start that game in the Premier League. But again, the thing that was strange was when they were the three goals down and they were down to ten men, and he was taken off Bashwai. When you're thinking these guys have got to score some goals, it'd be a massive uh, boost in morale if they get the three three draw. Why not throw on two strikers? Yes, Morata caused trouble on his own, um, but that brilliant flick on for the the Louise goal. Imagine having Bashwai running onto things like that in open play. I think it's one of these things where Conte got everything wrong um, against Burnley at Stamford Bridge. And I think there's not, you know, there's uh, he needs to go back to the drawing board. Yes, he's frustrated with signings. Yes, he's frustrated with losing players. Manu Matic, Costa obviously fallen out of the club. But he kind of needs to calm down a bit and, and make better decisions on the pitch because that really cost him, really cost him, you know, some big points out at the start of the season. Arguably, 3-5-2 could be a better option now without Eden Hazard. Again, he didn't really deal with that problem. He brought in, um, what was it, Jeremy uh, Bogar, who is a young lad for Chelsea. It's good to see young guys coming through. But at the same time, a 3-5-2 would have suited that better. They could have started with Morata and with Bashuai. But yeah. credit to Sean Dyche, I think that's a big thing. Just on a tangent, this is not even a tangent, this is just a random thing. People stop talking about Game of Thrones online. It's starting to really get to me. 
Right. Okay. Yes. It's just one of those things where if you've not watched it yet, or you've not watched a series, and then people are tweeting about it on Facebook or on whatever. Just keep that to yourself. All right. Yeah. Well, Chelsea had problems with someone from the north. Am I right? <laughs> oh, Dave. Uh, I don't even watch it, and I managed to make a joke. <laughs> about um, White Walkers, but uh, I think we've had enough of White Walkers this week in the year. That's libel. Uh, That's definitely libel. Sean Dyche shines a lot of different plays. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Um, um, obviously, uh, Nico, there, there's that the tactical idea that most people last season struggled to work out initially, and then as four three three or at least playing three at the back became more prevalent, we saw more solutions to it, and people started to pick those holes. We've already sort of gone through those holes, but do you think there's an element of and almost inertia at this, at this Chelsea team now? Because it, it, it does feel like that from the outside, at least. Um, like there's a worry that there's not a long-term plan there. The idea of Conte leaving, which was sort of injected into the fan base over the summer, um, and, and the idea this is a short-term sort of thing for him, which is now being banded around in the media because obviously it sells or, or, or makes headlines. Um, I mean, it, it sort of makes it difficult to buy into that philosophy when you have a coach who needs everything. Certainly, and I think, uh, to speak to your point about inertia, I think it's more of a point of stagnation almost, because it doesn't sure. seem like Conte has, has evolved his ideas. I think a, a lot of people have touched on you know, the, the brilliance of the system that got them through the Premier League last season and, and how great it was and everything that it was able to sort of bring fresh to the Premier League, but there hasn't been any evolution of that. I mean, the, the purchase and, and selling of certain players, it just seems like it, it, he's going for the same system, and without a central player to that like Aiden Hazard, it's difficult to imagine that they're going to be the same team, regardless of the red cards and regardless of everything that happened in that game. I, I just think that Antonio Conte is sort of stuck between ideas. Uh, he either to play Mishibachiwai or, or Alvaro Morata. Dave has suggested a number of times that a three-five-two would be maybe the ideal system for Chelsea, and I I have to agree. I think using the, the qualities of the, both those players would would far better better suit everyone as opposed to trying to isolate someone like Bachiwai, who you know credit to him is a great player, but isolating him uh, in the forward line and having him lead it alone probably isn't the best idea, especially with the, where this current. Uh, Chelsea team is right now and to to sort of elaborate on that also I I would say that they're sort of stuck right now choosing between those two midfielders I think it was what what has what was a perfect situation last season has now become a nightmare this season whereas you know last year they had a very defensive approach and relied on the creativity of their front line Aiden Hazard, Diego Costa, Villan, uh, Pedro creating chances you know counter-attacking situations to some extent they had the ability in to, to attack teams that maybe sat a little bit deeper to bring on someone like Cesc Fabregas. He wasn't a required starter. He was more of a the best, probably, impact substitution that a title winner has had for a long, long time. Now they sort of yeah. feel obligated to play him, and, and with the purchase of someone like Bakioko, it's difficult to imagine how how they'll, they'll fit all these pieces together. And not only that, they've sold one of their best players and one of the key elements to their team in, in Nemanja Matic to a direct title rival. So it just it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, Chris, that's, that, that sense that we're talking about with the, um, you know, the idea of stagnation or the idea of inertia, the idea that maybe... Um, I don't know, it, it, this whole project now is, is based around keeping at least some of this group together or being able to replace some of them. And they haven't directly replaced Manu Matic. We can get Dave to talk more about that later. But one thing I was interested in last season, we made the documentary on Conte. Um, and we certainly didn't envisage this sort of summer meltdown, which is being painted, painted in the, the London media. But um, the, the idea of 
um, essentially, Conte's now had his 4-4-2 or his uh, 4-2-4 taken apart. He's revamped that into a back three, making that a 3-4-3, maybe even a 3-5-2 if, he, if he's forced into it. it. You know, we've spoken about this before on the podcast as well. A lot of coaches, um, you know, we can talk about them being pragmatic, but he's used the two modes that he was famous for in Italy. Are we now going to see a third iteration like Dave is talking about, like uh, Nico's talking about, where he's forced to change again? Or are we a little bit worried that, you know, that there's a, there's not the same force or, uh, I don't know, gusto with which this team once had uh, sort of all the energy in the league, really? I think Dave makes a really good point, actually, about the, the two up front. I think that would have been a better fit. Um, the, the difficulty is there's a lot of hindsight uh, analysis yeah. because because you could play the game five different times and and choose five different formations and potentially have different uh, you know real conclusions at at the end of them if not only three possible results. The th- the thing I've, I find difficult with this whole situation is that there's two I think very different issues here. One of them is Chelsea will eventually have to integrate youth players, um, so the likes of Boga, the likes of Christensen will have to come in, and I fear that just a little bit um, they are being scapegoated for the situation in terms of you you saw when the, the squad was announced or the, the starting 11 was announced there was a lot of isn't this re- reflective of, of how small the, the overall kind of squad and every situation they have is that they're having to name these players I'm, I'm not sure if that's entirely fair I think there has to be a point where realistically as I say, people like Christiansen become a, a foundation of the squad and, and, and contribute. As for Conte and his ideas, I think this is the ultimate test of his pragmatism because he theoretically, I don't think, will make um, a, a huge glut of signings between now and the end of the window. Um, you could argue they've got the money, but again, I haven't seen them linked with a, a real huge number of targets. So if anything, it'll probably be fine-tuning. Um, I think he wasn't expecting to lose Matic, or he didn't want to lose Matic, excuse me, that's everything that's coming out at the minute. So it's a case of, does he stick with, with what he's got, or does he shift to that two up front? I, I, I'm inclined to agree with Dave. I think the two up top is, is potentially a better work for them, while the three and then the five negates some of the defensive issues, or at least helps um, work around those, because I still don't think they've got a balanced back four potentially in there um, you've got Azpilicueta who can play at right back I don't see a left back I think that's what Kennedy was put on the bench for at the weekend to potentially be a left wing back if they need one I don't think yeah. Marcus Alonso is a left back so to me the he has to I think he has to stay true to some of the principles but he also has to mould some of the other ones Chelsea kit looks great by the way um, of it course does. Andre great obviously we are we are, we are bitching and moaning maybe for Conte obviously to operate at the very highest level you need what you perceive to be and it is partly maybe an element of the imprisoned clothes uh, the very top players uh, and the very top managers and Conte has in the past been known to talk about needing that to mount a title challenge but also be able to compete in the Champions League um, uh, you know the idea that he hasn't settled over here I think is something we're going to hear pushed in the media especially in the coming weeks there's a lot of tricky games um, and especially in, in London where you see them coming at clash I think they're going to clash against Spurs another team who needs to talk about some of their transfers or maybe players that don't want to be there um, and also uh, a couple of other big names so uh, 
with that said, uh, Sean Dyche has obviously lost Andre Gray. When I say lost, I mean sold. Um, he didn't just lose him. And, uh, and, and so he's had to move on. They still got the result. Uh, arguably, Chelsea were still very close. Uh, I saw some stats today and a poorly used XG model uh, suggesting that Chelsea deserved to win the game because they created more expected goals. Nico, I know I'm applying this correctly. Anyway, um, Arsenal are playing against Leicester on the Friday night and they won just, Dave. You and I watched it together um, and had live analysis coming through the screen. Um, Chris mm. has put in the notes here, this was a madness of a fixture. Filthy fellas. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty mad, wasn't it? it was, uh, defensively, we're very, very poor both sides. I think I mentioned. Uh, I think Craig Shakespeare is going to struggle this season with Leicester City, and this, you know, com- fully confirmed that. Yes, Arsenal were defensively weak. Yeah, they were playing two left backs in a back three, which is a difficult thing to do. And Arsenal did madness. okay with it, but at the same time, Arsenal got caught out by Jamie Vardy doing classic Jamie Vardy things. Um, you know, recovering the ball high up the pitch and then making that run in between the two centre halves is just classic Vardy. Is that also though, Dave? I mean, we, we we highlighted this when we were sitting there together. We were looking at the average positions of the whole formation. Mm. And sure that some of the data that was pushed was sort of uh, maybe skewing things a little bit, but it, it was holding. Uh, was it holding? No, it was. It was yeah, it's um, holding. Was it holding? Yeah, uh, the space between holding Monreal? and Monreal. Yeah. That it was ridiculous. Yeah, the space between holding and Monreal was ridiculous. So they were almost playing one at the back, and you, mm. it's like, it, you'd almost term that as tactical naivety, wouldn't you, Dave? Because you know what Jamie Vardy is going to do, and you can see so clearly that they're overloading that left side. Why wasn't that covered? I don't know. I don't know why Hector Bellerin wasn't more defensively uh, positioning himself ahead of his right centre half. I think yes, the back three can be called to to blame for some of the goals, but I think the two wing backs as well, Oxley Chamberlain and Bellerin, they didn't play like wing backs. The great thing with Chelsea's wing backs last season is they knew when to you know come across and make a back four with the uh, you know a, the other wing back pushing high. Arsenal aren't doing that. You look at the the Zaka goal. Yeah, it was sorry the Zaka goal, the Vardy goal that was caused by the, the Zaka turnover. Ooh. Biker gang just going outside my house. Bike gang, bike gang. So yeah, the catches Dave's by surprise <laughs> ruins the pod with your eyes and ears. Here comes yeah. the biker gang. <laughs> I think that goal, you break that goal down. Yeah, Granite Jacker played a terrible pass and it got intercepted and turned over. But you break that down firstly. El, El Nene and Granite Jacker are playing in the same space uh, the same position which again you know you look at any zonal team that plays good football with a three back system you know likes of Hoffenheim that never happens that's you know naivety in a tactical centre in central midfield the two wing backs are far too high Oxley chamberlains recovery run is pathetic um, and then they score at the back post and it's one of these things where there's so much tactical issues in that goal that they conceded it's ridiculous so yeah. Arsenal Wenger they've got a lot to do but Wenger did things well you've got to not take that away bring on Olivier Giroud Change into maybe a you know something that looked like a four-four-two in a way um, with the likes of Lacazette and Giroud playing up top, not together. Mesut Ozil was drifting around as well, but credit to Wenger for doing that and overloading uh, Leicester in areas where they didn't want to get overloaded. Harry Maguire was brilliant in the first half and anonymous in a defensive sense in that second half. So I think Arsenal got a lot of problems, but I think Leicester's problems are a lot bigger. Yeah, I mean uh, Arsenal's problems are probably negated by the fact that they have looked to solve at least some of them. They brought in Lacazette over the. Summer, Chris and Lacazette became one of only seven players to score on their Premier League debut for Arsenal. <laughs> um, Steve Bob that, was one of those. 
Steve Bob was another one. Can anyone name another player who also scored on their debut? Uh, I'm going to go with, I think, Carnu. D- uh, correct, Dave. <laughs> um, I'll let the guys play now because I kind of I, I, I know the answers. Uh, Dave, uh, Carnu wasn't actually correct, but uh, is he not? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. <laughs> yes. Um, no, go, go on, Chris. Uh, have you got anyone in there? Anyone uh, I read this. Just top uh, Tiervi Bafuma of West Brom, I believe, is one. Wait, no, sorry, for Arsenal. Oh, for Arsenal. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can't just pick any player. <laughs> yeah, he's got on his Premier League debut. Um, an Arsenal player. Just, just, name, just name a player Alexis for Arsenal, Chris. Fuck off. Um, no. It, um, you know what? There's a weird one. There's a couple of weird sort of modern era players in there that you almost wouldn't want. Um, two of which are now, I think, known as snakes in London. Um, Emmanuel Adebayor, uh, Sami Nasri, Thomas... Of course you were. Um, Thomas Vermaelen is on that list as well. Uh, of course, Freddie Lundberg, Steve Bold, as Dave said, mm. and Kevin, Kevin Campbell. Campbell. Yes. Um, I, Dave, I get the feeling that you and I have seen that same same stat. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, what, what's weird. then unusual is you've listed a player that wasn't on the list. <laughs> uh, the embarrassing thing is I copied that into the notes. Yes, where Carney was on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, Carnu was not there. Um, you, you were mixing up Kevin Campbell and uh, Emmanuel Adebayor, I think. Anyway, uh, the, the interesting side, obviously, is that Arsenal move forward in this one with a win. Uh, like I say, Lacazette, very impressive. Uh, Nico. It's sort of an unusual one, isn't it? Because everyone's sort of saying, well, Giroud is French, Lacazette is French. Uh, this is almost classic. Uh, Arsene Wenger here, you know, he's he, he's bringing all this French influence. Um, is this? Do, do you think they're a great partnership in the making, considering what they did at the end of the game? Uh, no, not necessarily. I don't think they're going to be a consistent great. partnership. I think Olivier Giroud will be someone that, that is a very good impact player and maybe start some games and they'll sort of be used perhaps rotationally with uh, with more of the games pandering towards Lacazette. But I think, um, you know, everything Dave that Dave said and Chris said as well uh, was correct um, in the sense that, but I also want to want to talk about how, you know, it's not just about, we, we talk about the three five two and the three four three and all these sort of three back formations coming back into the Premier League and, and all these things. And it's not just about the formation, obviously the, the, the use and the nuances of each team and the nuances of each coaches and uh, of each coach and how they implement certain uh, certain things into the team like like Dave said you know he doesn't want know why Hector Bellerin was positioned so far up the pitch in a different system under a different manager maybe it's a little bit different I think what we're seeing now is possibly Arsene Wenger take a little bit more risks um, in, in sort of his his play and do different things I, I like this new system that he's uh, that he's playing right now with with, uh, with all the work that the forwards do. I think it takes a, a more pressure off of the, the defensive midfielders, whereas in the past, you know, we've seen Arsenal almost uh, heavy set and concrete set into the 4-2-3-1, which I think was a, a big issue for them at times because there was so much pressure for the two defensive midfielders to do so much work in that formation, whereas now it's more about the, the dynamic forwards, someone like Danny Welbeck or Iwobi or even Lacazette to come back into midfield and help those numbers and, and do all those things. So I, I like what he's doing. It wasn't the the dream start for Arsenal, obviously, but I actually think they'll they'll do very good things this season uh, with that formation and with the players that they have right now. Yeah, DT, who came on the live show, the, the kickoff with Coral, um, over the weekend was saying how he had deja vu uh, and he already felt tired. Um, just thought that was worth noting. 
Um, let's let's move on from that. Uh, obviously, Liverpool went away to Vicarage Road, uh, a ground that you get the feeling this season, Chris, is going to be referred to as a difficult place to go. Uh, one of those clubs, and Marco Silva knows how to set these lads up. He, he does. Um, they've got yeah. some. They've made some uh, interesting signings. Actually, I think there's some. You got Andre Greer, Will Hughes, Shalabas. So there's a little bit of an English core coming to Watford. Um, and and Hughes. Like a little as money balling. There is a sort of. There is that sort. Of, it, it almost looks like an almost-ish sort of wish list that uh, that we're looking at there from uh, from the coach. Yeah, I think they realise that there's not many uh, like Troy Deeney floating around and that Andre Gray is perhaps a similar no, no shit. F- physical type of, of forward. Um, Will Hughes didn't even make the bench though, which I found uh, surprising because... Maybe tactical? I, I'm not too sure. I, I mean, I thought Shallow played okay. He was... You know, I, I think he's got a lot to prove. I'm, I'm surprised to read that Southgate rates him so highly and wants him potentially involved in the England team if he plays consistently. Because um, I personally, I think Loftus-Cheek's a better player uh, in a straight comparison. I don't think he's as technically gifted, but I think, you know, he, he offers more. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Watford, I can't see them going down personally. I think they'll be safe because Silva's a very, again, adaptable coach, a very smart coach. I think he sets his teams up very well defensively even though you know this three goal game would suggest otherwise I think that's more indicative of Liverpool's attack um, but I, I think for them it's it's going to be about how they incorporate theoretically Deeney and Gray into that team at the same time because they're both big players for that team for different reasons um, but they're quite similar so it's it's going to be a bit of a battering ram forward line for Watford I see exactly what you mean by that, and that, but that battering ram um, sort of worked. And it, obviously, uh, there, there's people in Liverpool Echo and a couple of other Liverpool sources who are almost going through um, since the Rogers era, when back then even Rogers was complaining about Liverpool being susceptible to set pieces, and how Jurgen Klopp hasn't really solved that yet. Um, but Nico, you, you're, you've got other criticisms of Jurgen Klopp, um, and you know, sure, let's beat a German while he's down, and that's not what I want to do. Of course not. Of course not. Unless I, I love it. I love his positivity, and but it really does seem like he's struggling at the moment to uh, put a, a positive face on all of this, considering um, you know the Coutinho saga and how that seems to be playing out, and the the um, uh, vitriol that's being uh, put towards FSG, whether that's right or wrong. Yeah, I'm sure we'll touch on the the Coutinho uh, situation in, in a bit, but I think. I think the you know there's a lot of criticism being hurled at Jurgen Klopp and the team after a disappointing season opener, especially with you know we saw Jamie Redknapp and 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 uh, Jamie Carragher sort of going at each other in in you know whatever show that is, um, talking about the the need for defender or or leaders of the, the team. And I think, <laughs> um, and I think actually the, the problem for Liverpool was was that you know although Jurgen Klopp I was impressed with sort of the, the, some of the things he did against Watford, the transition between a fourth. Or, uh, 4-3-3 and a 4 you know 4-4-2 diamond um, using the best of I think Mohamed Salah and, and Sadio Mane I liked how how fluid Mane was across the formation and I thought uh, Firmino did really well in sort of that central position and linking up those players I think that's something that he's very good at and, and accentuating those qualities will only 
bring good things for Liverpool. But I think what really was their downfall as opposed to a, a call for a de- an extra defender or a leader um, is, in fact, the possession game. I don't think he's evolved that enough. And especially sort of in that hybrid system, the the diamond specifically, it, it asks a lot of those fullbacks. And since they're being positioned so high up on the field, especially with someone like Alberto Moreno, that in maybe a more defensively, uh, defensively inclined system, he struggles positionally in a system where he's asked to do a lot not only defensively but offensively it can those 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 uh those defensive frailties can be exacerbated so i think evolving that possession game dominating possession a little bit more controlling that game when they have you know when they have those high scoring opportunities because i think that's that's really how how liverpool under klopp will always play they create chances off the ball they create chances off the ball they create chances against everyone but it's really about showing up that defense not only through typical defensive actions but but possessing the ball you know the 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 opponent can't score unless they have the ball, right? I mean, obviously, there are counter-attacking opportunities, but I think they do need to evolve their possession game. But overall, I, I wouldn't worry too much as a Liverpool fan because I, I do like the, tac- the tactical evolution uh, from Klopp in, in breaking down teams that maybe still sit a little bit deeper. Uh, yeah, or at least an attempt at a tactical evolution. And obviously, that team that sat a little bit deeper got the better of Liverpool. Um, I think it was David Priest, Chris, who was saying he felt that Watford's final goal was offside. Yeah, I think there's a decent case for that. Uh, there is Preach, certain... as we say, David, miss preaching the priest. <laughs> um, there, so there's there's two potential issues. I would say, yeah, one of them is the offside that that occurs uh, with Britos. I think it is on the line. Yeah. The other one is filtered um, in. Is Genie Vinealdum that attempted defensive header was really really bad. Um, if he, it's it's look, it, it's such an easy thing to say behind a microphone. Um, but I would say if you put your head in there, you might get a kick. But worst case, you'll get a free kick. Sorry, I genuinely thought you meant if you put your head inside the microphone. Uh, um, no, no. Um, now we're getting very meta. But yeah, you know, if, if you just attack the ball, then there's not going to be an issue. Um, and and in general, if if I'm very honest, I thought Vinaldum was poor. I think he's he's often had poor performances away from home. Um, it's it's a weird aspect about him. I know there's that stat that floats around that he's not scored a, a Premier League goal away from home. I think it's a little bit bigger than that. I mean, he had a very good chance, I would say, towards the end of the game where it's pulled back to him and he kind of slices it and it goes wide. And and for me, for a player like that, that's kind of his bread and butter. That's what he's there to do. I don't think he's the most great midfielder. I think he's a goal scorer midfielder. And if he's not providing that and he's not taking chances like that, then you question what he's doing at, uh, at all. Uh, yeah, uh, he definitely had, I think um, a lot of people gave him four or five out of ten, how helpful or unhelpful those ratings are. But it certainly sort of shows what people thought of him overall in the game. Um, of course, Coutinho, it, there, there are some very non-committal um, phrases and quotes out there from Klopp um, in the media he's talking about sort of it's not really his responsibility uh, seemingly uh, not unhappy but, uh, that the, the FST cause at least um, and, and sorry that wasn't me uh, and, and so we sort of find ourselves in a difficult position here because um, there is somewhat of a, a weird mood around the club at the moment now Nico um, I, su- I suggested to you pre-pod uh, if Liverpool had just embraced Coutinho wanting to leave um, and maybe looked a little bit earlier around in the market maybe saying you know we understand that we can um, 
you know, let this player go. You know, it's, it's the dream of any Barcelona player or any player who wants to play for Barcelona to go. We're not going to stand in his way, but we do want, you know, a really decent wedge for that. Um, it wouldn't have been so bad, and maybe they could have uh, publicly handled this, but it's tricky now. Yeah, certainly, and I think this is one of those things that you know you you kind of have to analyze the sources and and the the places that these sort of things are coming out. I have the, the creeping suspicion that perhaps you know this is a move by uh, you know all the press that has come about uh, out about the situation is sort of a move to to absolve themselves of any blame because you know obviously they want to keep a player like Coutinho, but it's difficult when not only is the player have a, does a player have a better financial opportunity to play somewhere else but they have you know an intrinsic opportunity a chance to play at Barcelona a chance to play with the greatest player of all time but you know as sort of you and I were talking about pre-pod as well is you know none of this stuff happened or in my opinion none of this stuff happens maybe this summer um you know if Neymar doesn't move to the it doesn't move to to PSG and I think that is something that I saw some sort of proposed or uh, yeah, proposed map of, of what the Neymar money will do and how it trickles down. You know, maybe maybe if Coutinho does go to Barcelona, then Liverpool spend in a certain direction and then that team can spend in a certain direction. There's all this, you know, trickle-down effect to this massive transfer, and I think that has to be taken into account. But it's, it's an interesting one, but I still think... I think losing Coutinho, it will be a big miss for Liverpool but it's not it's you can't really do that much about it especially if he is intrinsically motivated to go play elsewhere and I think actually Klopp has the ability as a manager to to maybe move past it it won't be immediate I think they'll obviously be hampered by his lot by the loss of someone like Coutinho but it, it's not the worst thing in the world because I think a lot of what he does is is create chances regardless of, of really who's playing for the team to a certain extent um, so I think you're right in, in if Liverpool had embraced the uh, the idea that, you know, he does want to leave, then they could have addressed some of the problems facing them in midfield earlier on in the summer. Yeah, it's a tricky one. It goes both ways, really, doesn't it? Um, people, I mean, there's been a lot of stories. I, I do get the feeling sometimes uh, that there's an awful lot of lazy or sort of um, re- very assumptive journalism out there. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, be that along the lines of, well, obviously this line works, you know, if Liverpool by him, this buys this, and change sometimes looks better than everything staying the same. Uh, either way, it doesn't look like Liverpool are going to get Van der Vaart at this point. Uh, as new ownership comes in, or a new, uh, I think a new avenue of ownership comes in at Southampton, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of things that are going against Liverpool. But I, I mean. Uh, one thing I will say is, especially from Liverpool supporter uh, standpoint, FSG came in and saved the club at a very critical point. A lot of people now being very critical, uh, talking about FSG being greedy, lying, all sorts of things. I think sometimes they've tried to be clever with the media and things haven't played out very well. Uh, and it's felt dishonest to the fans because that's the way it's been painted. Um, and now a lot of people are sort of going down the route of, well, you know, they shouldn't have done this in the first place, etc. You know, if they'd have been more honest with the fans. Uh, and also people talking about them rejecting bids from big consortiums from different countries uh, some of that I feel is, is a bit of conflation but at the same time uh, there's got to be an element of gratitude that FSG sort of swept in when they did even if it did benefit them and they did write the club they have they have spent uh, a reasonable amount of money I, I still don't think maybe not spent to the maximum every summer uh, you know rep- people now talking about the replacement of um, Luis Suarez with Mario Balotelli and Ricky Lambert but I mean there is also the element that it, you know you you don't always want to go out there and tactically 
get a direct replacement, do you? You know, you don't always. No, go, I don't think oh, you. Well, I don't think you ever want to do that. I don't think you really ever uh, want to do that. I think that's the mistake that a lot of you know, specifically Premier League clubs recently have have made in some situation. I think both Liverpool and, and Spurs in, in that sense are very similar because I think, you know, with Spurs getting the, the bail money, um, you know, they went out and spent on a lot of players that maybe didn't exactly fit, but but they tried to replace Gareth Bale and then Liverpool getting the, the Suarez money, they, they went out and, you know, got a bunch of players that probably didn't fit the system. But it, it was, in fact, you know, two amazing coaches that have come in and sort of building the ideas around those coaches as opposed to, you know, specifically star players, I think is is more the way to go. Certainly, be interesting to see uh, if, in a few years' time, Klopp leaves Liverpool. If Wagner stepped in, let's go over to Huddersfield or Crystal Palace, and therefore Selhurst Park. Dave, Huddersfield getting their first Premier League win against a side that people were saying this season would be solid, thoughtful, sometimes methodical in their passing, because obviously we can expect that. Um, it, it was three, it was three nil uh, for Huddersfield away at Selhurst Park. And Crystal Palace, um, it didn't go well. No, it didn't go well at all. I'd first, like to say, you know, Man City have had a problem replacing goalkeepers with goalkeepers, haven't they? Like for like goalkeepers. Lovely banter, Dave. Lovely there. banter. But, but anyway, it's your own podcast. If you would. We, don't, we don't do the jokes here. Thank Manchester you. United have had a trouble, you know, finishing within the top four. But you know, it's all right. World Europa League champions, Nico. Oh yeah, Actually, we love the Re- Europa League here. For more snide comments between two people. Uh, please do go over to the one tactics of the bitches more regular at, Tactics bitches, at, as Lawrence put it, sipping mojitos. I have my mojito I, here today, folks. Yeah. If you'd like well, to do, you know what? I do think there are there is a lot of bitchy, uh, bitchiness in the tactics industry. There um, is. It's not a nice place to be sometimes, you know. That's why Ooh, his model there. doesn't work. Oh, he's not he's not a good model. Um, <laughs> it, it's unusual. Um, hey, Ted Nutson owns you all. Uh, anyway, uh, Dave, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Do go on, please. Huddersfield three yeah, nil, um, um, and uh, you know, there's a yeah. masterclass in beating someone else. Yeah, for the, the new signing did well. The target man uh, Moy scored two very very good goals. Um, but I think Moy looked good as well. Um, you know, signed from Manchester City for ten million pound. He, he looked very energetic and like he really really cared about Huddersfield and that kind of like pushed them forward you know, he worked out left he worked out right but he started as a central midfielder so it was just he covered a lot of ground and with this Huddersfield town side they are quite high pressing so I think credit to him and credit for the whole team it was a team performance um, and they did well and they deserved the victory Palace didn't look good at all I think maybe the shining light maybe Timothy Fossumenta who um, won four tackles playing as a right centre half no centre back in the Premier League won, won more this weekend but I think for Palace it's this problem of going from Sao Aldice to De Boer it's opposite and it's going to be a tough first few months of the season and then they'll get it right and then they'll start to play Louis van Gaal style football and then that'll be it everyone will fall to tears everyone will hate them uh, they'll become the least favourite team in the league people want to start talking about getting them relegated but they won't because it's De Boer and somehow we we remember his legacy and somehow De Boer sounds like a sort of legacy name in a way because we know about the others um Anyway, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, Chris, just one quick question for you. Um, obviously, with Huddersfield coming up, it's fantastic. It's a great story. Um, you know, you can link Liverpool now. You can also link them with Liverpool in the past with the Shankly move from one side to the other. When Shankly said, "Until this team do uh, invest, there'll never be anything," and that's why Liverpool will be a great side. Um, Huddersfield found themselves top of the table for a very short 
why are there sort of tiers of transfers in the summer because obviously we see Wagner there's going to be a lot of comparisons drawn between Wagner and Klopp this season with those comparisons people are going to talk about the styles of football and obviously how similar they are maybe the differences between them maybe where Wagner has done better and where Klopp has done better in certain aspects and with certain players playing well within maybe a Huddersfield system do you think people are going to say well why wouldn't someone like Liverpool target those guys why wouldn't they say hey look they work in an intense pressing system we can get someone for very reasonable money ball less money here why not go for that guy well that's that's the thing I think that's kind of what did with Southampton a lot recently isn't it you know you look at Dejan Lovren that's being never a, been a re- yeah but has that ever I mean I suppose you could make that argument but it's well, no, this is the low this low is, price of 10 million has it th- this is the important uh, difference maker for me is you look at Sir Dejan who comes in after a questionable time at Leon, does does I think very well with Southampton and then gets a twenty million pound move. And I think it's fair to say that the form hasn't transferred up north with him. And I think one of the key reasons and one of the key reasons if I was at Liverpool and we were looking at Huddersfield players, maybe I'd say maybe Aaron Moy aside they play a different way. Yes, there are similar principles in terms of the high press, the the looking for turnovers high up the field, um, playing aggressive, that kind of thing. Yeah, there are similarities. But you have to remember, it's, it's very different if if I'm welcoming a Huddersfield team or a Liverpool team to, to my ground. I'm going to approach that game differently. So, for example, Palace, I, I wouldn't say made it easy for Huddersfield. They certainly played in a way that helped us get that style that Huddersfield wanted to, to play. And it meant they could be aggressive. And it meant that against that back three, which I think Dave's right, Fosu Mensa looked very solid, looked fairly okay. But Joel Ward is not a good right wing back for me. Gats in the middle as this sort of glue between uh, him and Jario Redeveld. So. It's a different setup entirely for me. That's that's the issue I have with it. Um, is that you're you're playing in two very different teams. So if you were to look at, I'm um, just saying, you know, Steve Mooney, for example, the the forward, and say, okay, well, he would clearly be great for us. I don't know if if I'm that confident of that because they they do play in different ways. Huddersfield create different kind of chances to the ones that Liverpool create. Great point. Yeah. Um... But obviously, Huddersfield doing well early on. Obviously, we are only one game in at this point. Um, I'll be interested to see where each of these two clubs take it tactically this season. But let's see. Um, moving on, and let's go back to uh, London. Let's talk about the Spurs result, Chris. Uh, I'm going to stay with you for just a second. Newcastle went uh, home to Spurs. First game of the season, uh, mirroring the last game of the season. And Spurs... Again, it was it was kind of a red card that changed this game, wasn't it? I think so. Um, I think th- I think Spurs had a, a stupid amount of the ball. Obviously, um, they were looking to break through, but I, I never felt watching it that they were actually having much penetration. There was a decent enough chance with Sissoko, but again, that didn't bring anything through. Um, and yeah, you look at that red card with John Joe Shelby. I think even Rafa Benitez touched on it afterwards, and and so did Pochettino that. That drastically changes the game because it just opens up space that wasn't there before, um, and it's 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 a shame. It's a shame for for Newcastle, obviously. Um, it's perfect for Tottenham, but I, th- I think realistically, it's it's probably one of these the first, if not the last, um, nails in in Shelby's coffin because 
again, it, it, he had an okay season, I would say, in the championship. I wouldn't say he was sensational. Um, and this was a huge season for him, and it started atrociously. So now he's going to have to claw back, I would say, an extra few steps on, on top of anything that he does to even be considered a success this season. Some people, Dave, are talking about hook, line and sinker by Deli Alley. Deli Alley does this quite a lot, doesn't he? It's one of those sort of surplus to tactics things that happens out on the pitch. He's quite a... I don't know. I mean, you know, when he first came out, people almost called him nasty, but because of his sort of nice man demeanour, he kind of got away with it. But he's definitely lured Shelby in there now, hasn't he? And we sort of get to this point where it's like, well... Yeah, he's done this on so many players. Dave? Sorry, I didn't hear that last bit. Lost, you broke up. Oh, sorry. Uh, you, but was but, it on, but, it's basically on Deli Alley, right? I heard most yeah, of it. Yeah, 100%, exactly. I think you've got to look at the player in, in you know, whoever's coming to these, these blows and, and taking the bait and getting sent off. It, it's stupid. It's... Again, I'm on the fence about diving. I'm on the I like diving fence. I think it's a, it's part of the game. I think this gamesmanship from Deli Alley isn't new to the game of football, but being sucked into that, like John Joe Shelby, has, has happened to him, and it happened to him last season in the Championship when that terrible incident happened with him. You know, this is something that's happened with Shelby before. Can you rely on Shelby in, a, in the Premier League to be your central midfielder that's going to govern a game? No, because he's going to get sent off. And I think the thing with Deli Alley, yeah, you know, he, he plays games and whatever. What you saw as well is just the quality of his movement for the, the opening goal. The, the ball from Christian Eriksen, we've seen that so many times. Inside right channel, back post, Deli Alley comes in between the fullback and the centre half. How many times we've seen that? Rafa Benitez should be aware of things like that. It's just something that happens with Spurs. It's something, it's the movement that Eriksen always does. It's the movement that Alley always does. It's one of these things where there's some real naivety there with you know John Joe Shelby but also in a tactical sense not identifying what Spurs' big strengths were that game um, you know and what potentially they were trying to do and they did do with Christian Eriksen Christian Eriksen though fantastic creative form and of course Deli Alley both ended the season in great form in terms of goal scoring and grabbing assists and Eriksen what joint top of the assist this season with two so expect another cracking campaign in the creative sense if he didn't go to Barcelona that is I do think though at the same time I, I, I do think a little bit Ali and I mean you could argue Kane as well I think they get a little bit of protection at the same time could be in English because I think it's I think it's so easy to write that article yesterday that oh Deli Ali hook line and sink at John Joe Shelby he yeah. got involved with Jamal Lascelles in the first half and if you look yeah. before before the, the actual stamp with Shelby Ali holds on to the ball and has a tantrum on the floor and yeah. it, it's to me, it's no different, and I and I appreciate I'll be accused of bias. I agree with Benitez that the tackle from Harry Kane that forces Lejeune off is a really nasty tackle. And I got yeah. in a debate with a Spurs fan last night who was saying, well, the ref thought it was yellow and all this, and it wasn't malicious. And so many people don't seem to grasp that a reckless tackle is not defined by its malicious intent. It's defined by whether you have control. And he didn't have control, and he absolutely cleared him out in the follow-through. And... I think there were a lot of disgruntled fans who left that game and thought, you know what, if that was Mitrovic, he'd put that tackle in on Alderweireld or Vertonghen. You guarantee that have been cloned for a red card because yeah. of who he is. And, and I do, I think, I think they, they got a little bit of protection yesterday. I suppose there was a few decisions that I thought were were just just far too soft. Um, and I think it's. It, it's it's easy to write that Ali's this reformed character who's learned to channel his aggression. I don't think he is at all. I, th I think he's got a long way to go yet before I can even consider him to be that. 
Yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, yeah, narrative-wise, uh, it certainly suits, uh, especially as he, you know, such a beautiful player, um, and you know, sort of embodies quite a lot of what people want to see in the game at the moment. You know, that kind of, he's very marketable. Let's put it that way. Um, as, as is Harry Kane, um, and obviously, people in England want to protect certain elements of that England side, especially if they're going to be building a spine around that come the next World Cup. Um, you can't have arseholes playing for England, but you can have arseholes that hide it. Um, I'm not calling either of those players arseholes, by the way. They seem like lovely guys. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, enough enough signs for Kristen. Uh, that was indeed myself, my respect there for them. Uh, enough signs, Kristen, that uh, Rafa Benitez can keep this team up. I mean, until Shelby went off. I like to say it was promising. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think um, I think there was enough in terms of defensive solidity, and there was a f- there was for me there was one or two things lacking in terms of um, attacking intent. I mean, I thought Christian Atsu offered something which was good because I was um, very uh, very wary about him stepping up, but I think um, I think he did well. Richie didn't do a huge amount. I thought Gale was pretty marginalised. But I think if you look at, like, sort of... I'm trying to guess the time here. About 60 minutes onwards, there was a period where they caused Tottenham some problems with 10 men. And it's... You know, you drive yourself mad if you just sit there and think, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, what would have happened if it was 11. But I think, yeah, he's always going to set them up to be defensively sound. So there's nothing to be too panicked about now. I think they just need one or two extra bodies in there to, to give them a little bit of a gear change in the final third. Yeah, great point. And they've been targeting some guys. Um, where else should we go? I'm trying to. I'm sort of trying to sort of save Manchester United for a little bit later. I want to sort of um, work Dave into a frenzy before that. Um, West Brom, Bournemouth. <laughs> the excitement of West Brom, Bournemouth. Um, Nico talked to me a little bit about this when Tony Dulles comes back, um, and well, one one nil in the end pretty much shows exactly what they're going to try and do this season. It was so exciting. I did not see it. Excellent. Kristen, how about you? Uh, the, the the West Brom game. Highlights. Very West Bromy. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, I mean, the, the goal comes from a set play. Um, they have it, the, thi- the thing is, I thought Jay Rodriguez was very good um, when he was played centrally. When they moved him out wide, I thought it made no sense because it meant he couldn't be as influential. He wasn't really floating around as much as he was in the central area, taking shots, that kind of thing. So I would hope that that experiment with him as a winger is over. Um, there's been reports early this week that they're going to sign Gareth Barry, um, West Brom, which again is a okay. pretty West Bromy, Pulis type of signing. <laughs> I think they just need to do something that's just a little bit exciting I mean they even talked about selling Nasser Chadley if Swansea come in with the um, with the right kind of bid I, I just I could be totally wrong and if we've got any West Brom fans that listen I'd love to, to hear their opinion I just don't feel like West Brom have had the most exciting of windows they haven't had that moment where I'm like that's a really good kind of season ticket purchase type of signing um, and it's yeah Darren I'm, Fletcher, I'm not arguably, sure. Dave Darren Fletcher, yeah, no, that's a big loss. I think the I think the sign of Jay, Jay Rodriguez was, you know, it was a bit of good business and he did play well. Was unlucky not to be on the score sheet um, at the weekend. But I think it's classic West Brom. You you know, you're not going to see attractive football, but you'll see them win games. And again, they scored from a set piece. Classic Tony P. Yeah, everyone seems to be talking about classic West Brom at this point. Everything's coming up Tony as he shouts as he runs back into the changing room, um, cap in hand. 
anyway, uh, let's let's move on. Um, we'll come to Brighton in just a second. Uh, uh, obviously, another one of those guys brought up, but Everton won Stoke City nil. Um, I mean, we really should have seen this one coming, shouldn't we, Nico? Uh, what you've got there is a side who are caught in a perpetual identity crisis now that Tony Pulis is gone, and a side with somewhat of an identity crisis uh, now that Lukaku has gone from Everton. In that, uh, over the summer, they obviously sold him for a great amount of money. Bought in. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, a very large amount of midfielders um, and are expecting goals uh, in the Premier League without necessarily the, 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 the icon that they had last season. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are very excited about, you know, obviously Wayne Rooney's return to Everton, his first goal, and I think it couldn't have lined up more perfectly for him, but I think that's one of the only things that'll line up for him this year and really Everton. I, I, I understand the some of the you know, some of the talk around Everton uh, specifically last year there's a banner uh, about there's a banner that calls Kuman a tactical mastermind. A tactical mastermind. And I don't think that could be farther from the truth. I think the majority of the signings wow. he brought in, he's brought in, has have been you know just sort of strange buys that will sort of fit a, a vague idea. But you know, the, the, we we look at uh, I think it was 23 non-penalty goals that Lukaku scored for Everton last season. And that's one of the highest since Suarez's last season with Liverpool. Um, and I think that this season under Kuman at Everton will really show, uh, you know, his his inadequacies as a coach. I, I really don't think he's that inventive in his play, and I think Lukaku really carried that a lot of that team last season. That was evident in the you know how good he is in the Manchester United performance. He's a, he's a player of exceptional quality, and I think you know bar that that one chance from Wayne Rooney that he did he did really well to finish. It was a, it was a great header. I, I think Everton might actually really struggle to score goals and then get stuck in that get stuck in that identity crisis between between being a defensive team and a def- and a team that likes controlling the ball because I don't think they have the players to really uh to really implement a, a, a 
a creative enough offensive system that will be able to to bring them a lot of goals. So I I I think the people that suggest that Everton will really push into the top six or even the top four are are going to be sadly mistaken. It certainly is an interesting one there. Uh, now a savvy commentator on the weekend, of course, would have dropped the line slightly uh, different tone, but. Remember the name Wayne Rooney? Rather than, of course, remember the name Wayne Rooney. Uh, <laughs> that one that one landed differently than I thought it would. But uh, yeah. a clever commentator would have gone down that route. However, they didn't. <laughs> Sadly. Um, we'll see whether Rooney scores even more. There is this sort of, there is the... The, the temptation on the first podcast of the season to make some outlandish claims about every side um, and sometimes as I think as we've seen in the first weekend certain sides tactically line up better with each other almost than better than the others um, you know Huddersfield Crystal Palace for instance maybe Everton Stoke um, and finally Kristen uh, Southampton Swansea yeah um I I, uh, I get to use expected goals on this one. Um, yep. Wow. And I, I, hate, I hate Dave and Nico frantically panicking that I'm about to make a horrible mistake. Dave um, and Nico circle as Kristen begins to turn over onto his back. And uh, Nico gets the mojitos. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got the mojitos ready. The thing is, I can't tell if that is, that is racist, um, but maybe not. In essence, I don't, I don't know how Swansea kept a clean sheet in this one. Um, they, they were absolutely battered. Out the bed. Um, yes, in essence, um, they were battered by by Southampton, and I mean this furthers the, um, the the con- or it's the continuation of what was a really tough time for, for Southampton to score goals at home. I think they scored the fewest. It was them and Sunderland last season that had the fewest goals at home. Um, and and it's it's bizarre because they've clearly got some good players, Tadic, Redmond. Um, but it, it seems to me a little bit like them they're missing that finisher if it's not Gabbiadini. Um, yeah. I guess in some ways that makes the decision to sell Jay Rodriguez a little bit uh, confusing. But I think for for Swansea, you know, they they had some chances, and I'm being very kind there. But essentially, Tammy Abraham had a header, um, and and. He looked okay, I think, in, in patches. But yeah, for me, I think Swansea need to do some business. Um, similarly, you could argue to West Brom in, in, in so much as they haven't had that big statement signing yet. And and the concern I have for them is they've waited so long with this Gilfie Sigurdsson situation in Everton that it could get to the point now where it's you're looking about two weeks until the end of the window. If you don't make some business and it gets closer and closer and closer you can guarantee there'll be a premium put on anyone you try and get because you're deep stabilizing their squad a little bit um and equally you could wait until far too late and then ever say actually you know what we're really not interested anymore um and i think the power on this one is all with everton um and if if i was swansea i would have taken the money a good while ago and, and just invested it into to other players because even if it was 40 million which I'd heard bandied about as being an offer you can sign players for that you'll you'll get quality for, for 40 million if you can't then I was going to say maybe you're working at Barcelona <laughs> well, that one bombed <laughs> and I'm back sorry walking through the streets of London I've walked through every layer of London tonight um, can you well you're outside okay? Lawrence 
um, yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with whatever it was that Chris said there. Um, I, I missed most of it, but it was great, great banter um, and great stuff. Uh, let's go to Manchester. Not literally, though that would be lovely. Um, you know what? Let's start uh, with United, Dave. Finally, uh, the season has started and everyone, you know, yapping in pre-season. Oh, we don't know how good they're going to be, blah, blah, blah. 4-0, mate. 4-0. Mm. Simple, effective performance. Um, a very good performance. Yeah, West Ham team that is well played, tactically well a little bit poor, to say the least. Yeah, a, you know, the a little balance bit, mate. <laughs> You say a little bit poor. Completely wrong. They right. defended quite well in the first 20 minutes with their two defensive midfielders. They were quite strong and, and rugged, but as the game opened up, we saw obviously the, the opening goal of the game. Fantastic counter attack, instigated by a brilliant bit of pressing action from um, Nemanja Matic. But Marcus Rashford with some really good work, and then of course Lukaku scoring his opening goal. But it's, it's what United are going to be this season is a lot more direct, a lot quicker. What we saw with Matic compared to, say, Herrera or even Michael Carrick playing as a defensive midfielder is. Matic will go forward Matic will be calmer on the ball Matic will just wait for his time to play a forward pass whereas the other two would rather go round and come back and then play forward so it's a, it's a more direct Manchester United and the Man United that looks better for it um, you know the highest passing combination on the pitch was Matic to Pogba which is, is a good oh. thing that's a very very good thing if you're thinking last season the season before you're thinking centre-halves between each other you, you know top ranking um, in terms of their passes what Matic did as well fantastic on the ball had the most touches completed the most passes covered the most ground he just had a cracking display and it, you know, it was definitely man of the match by a country mile but it will be there'll be tougher t- tests for this United team again tactically very flexible playing a 3-5-2 in the Super Cup but then going back to a 4-2-3-1 seeing the likes of Henry Mkhitaryan grabbing assists is what I want to see Henry Mkhitaryan is going to be United's best player this season um, he's going to go under the radar uh, it'll be like Ander Herrera last season but people will realise at the end of the year wow what a season he's, he, you know, he's had starting off really well his vision is, is absolutely incredible he's one of those players that can spot a pass as well as being technically so gifted on the football um, when he's dribbling when he's you know he needs to potentially work on his finishing but I don't think you know he's, he's more of a you know he's your playmaker he's your creator and with one matter in this system it looks really good especially with Marcus Rashford getting closer to Romelu Lukaku it's just seems to work this system and uh, Marcus Rashford was the big one as well Matic man of the match in terms of a defensive sense but Rashford was making things happen and for a player that's not been signed for a big club for a big fee it's incredible to see that as a fan of um, of Manchester United to to enjoy a young player play with such an unknown I think that's the problem with Rashford you just don't know what he's going to do he's so comfortable at coming on his right coming on his left chopping, fating, shooting passing, crossing whatever Marcus Rashford just can do it all and the future for him is going to be absolutely incredible you know we, we speak of Kylian Mbappe and such a high regard in European football but Rashford is, is slowly catching up to Kylian Mbappe and arguably at a real similar level right now after Rashford's you know end of last season and the start of this season which he's absolutely been flying but should have you know could have taken his chance when he was clean for a one goal so I think there's still improvement to be made for Marcus Rashford but what a talent silly fascinating stuff um, obviously West Ham the other way Nico uh, uh, well yeah yeah I thought they were really sort of unimpressive. They've they've talked a lot about some of the things that Manchester United did and they, they were exceptional, don't get me wrong. They they did everything that they needed to do. They they beat the team that was in front of them, but I think at the same time 
West Ham, specifically Slavin Bilic, is, is devoid really of ideas. You know, they could have been more compact, compact throughout the game. They were not. They could have. It just it doesn't really seem like they have a plan. They have Chicharito, who's who's a bit of a poacher, and they and they have certain players that are willing to put in the box, but they don't really have any idea of how to get there. And maybe it was just starting the season off against a, a United team that's ready to, to, you know, to challenge for a title this season, very um, ready to achieve the aspirations that they've been projected for. But it's difficult to imagine them having a successful season if the majority of the performances against the teams that are of Manchester United's quality, which, you know, they aren't the majority in the Premier League, but there are a lot of good teams in the Premier League this season, are going to have so much success against them. And I just, I, I tipped Slavin Bilic and West Ham to really struggle this season. I think that that prediction is true because they, they just really didn't seem to have any ideas defensively or offensively. I think the really interesting part about that, if you go back to the, the, the opening goal, have a look at where the players are. So you build a forward line together, you think, and you want to have someone that comes to the ball, someone controls the play, um, and maybe two guys that are going to make a move to the penalty area. But you've got Andre Ayew, who likes making forward runs, who likes to take up defenders. You've got Anatovic, who constantly makes runs in behind the defence, and Javier Hernandez, who's a poacher. And then, you've, what, you think Fernandez is going to run the whole show behind those three players? It's just mental. The reason why... Um, the West Ham central midfield lost the ball was because he had no passing options. Matic was so smart how he pressed and how he came up and completely shut the game down. Zabalet was caught up the pitch. Game over West Ham, but it was it was terrible in an attacking sense. The balance was absolutely atrocious. One thing that I'd maybe like to ask you, Dave, about is that, you know, I maybe wasn't the most approving of Manchester United's performance because I saw it, and I think it's it's different methods to, to achieve a result that Manchester United want. Obviously, they want to beat West Ham, and I think they did very well to do so, but they did it in a more Mourinho way. He's very good at influence, influencing the game state to, to adjust to his preferred style of tactics. You know, it's not really like Manchester United sat there and broke down West Ham with possession. You know, it was a lot of counterattacking opportunities. Are you comfortable with that sort of play against the level of, of team that West Ham is and maybe further down um, where teams will sit deeper against Manchester United? Because for me, the, the, the issues stay the same. You know, Manchester United still may struggle to break down teams that sit very deep where, you know, maybe not all the time. It's not going to be in every game where they can influence the game state to adhere to their counterattacking chances. I think that they've addressed some problems. They've addressed the problem of um, having too many players coming to the ball. I think that was a big issue is Latane Ibrimovic. You know, he likes to come off the front. He likes to get involved. But when you play Mickey, uh, Mkhitaryan, Juan Mata and Latan with someone like Marcus Rashford on the left wing, it gives you one poacher, one guy that's going to make the run in behind and the other three players are going to come to the ball. What you've got with Romelu Lukaku is the other option. You know, Lukaku did some really good stuff when he came to the ball, but he's always going to be running the channels and looking to stretch you in a in a vertical sort of plane, which you didn't have with Zlatan. So the fact that that's already opening up space for Mkhitaryan and Juan Mata to play together and play off each other opens up, you know, a different sort of aspect in the final third. The big thing for United, I feel, what they've got to do is they've got to, you know, there's got to get a left back. I think either Luke Shaw becomes the Luke Shaw we think he is, or United go out and sign a left back. United should have bought Mendy full stop, but. Bendy's gone to Manchester City the problem with that now is that when you watch Daley Blind play sometimes he's so scared in the final third Daley Blind has got no pace he's never going to take you on and hit the byline and put the ball back yeah he may be able to play well in, himself into that position but what you had with Daley Blind against West Ham was no drive when you get into the final third and Marcus Rashford having to do things you know if, if a player like Marcus Rashford or Anthony Martial who's going to be playing on the left wing if United play this system and they both will do very well if those two 
and not having having like an off day, which we've seen with Marcus Rashford, we've seen Anthony Martial over their careers at United. You know what happens on that left side? Nothing, and that's the big problem that tactically United are very good down the right with Antonio Valencia from fullback but on the left hand side if they play this narrow 4-2-3-1 um, there's going to be a big tactical issue there and that's I think that's the player that Mourinho is looking for and it's difficult because Damian's played well um, in games Blin's been good in games Shaw hasn't been good under Mourinho but the only one that's actually got that attacking potential to be the left back that Manchester United need to go on and comfortably win the Premier League is Luke Shaw so it's one of these things where it's either gamble on Luke Shaw or go and sign a, a left back. And obviously the best one that they could have got was Mendy. So it seems to be, again, a problem that United kind of had. They got three left backs, but none of them are that good. Maybe just play two in Zabie there because he's absolutely sick of football. Yeah, as a lot of people often say now in the modern game, he's sick at football. Um, let's then skip to the other side of Manchester who took a trip to Brighton, which is apparently full of progressives and punks. Um the way that some people might describe... No, they wouldn't describe Pep that way. Uh, Pep's actually quite a, a, a straight guy, isn't he? Quite a straight down the line. Um, anyway, uh, Brighton, in the end, uh, came away after losing 2-0 to Man City. Feeling actually quite proud about uh, making them work for it, Nico. But it was beautiful work. Yeah, I think, it. Um, you know, from a Brighton perspective, I wouldn't be... I, I think they, they enacted the plan that they could. You know, if they went like for like with Manchester City, I think they'd obviously be a much worse result and I was happy with the way that Guardiola attacked it I think he had a uh, he envisioned envisioned a game plan and he enacted it I was impressed with the way that Manchester City tried to break down a team that sat so deep within their half I was really surprised that they sat that deep and were so unadventurous in pursuing Manchester City with the ball um and with that said, I, you know, it really reminded me of sort of the way that Real Madrid used their midfielders to attack, uh, to attack, you know, teams in, in Spain and the teams that they do play. You know, they had the, we had Kyle Walker and Danilo positioned very high up the pitch, uh, Sergio Aguero and Gabriel Jesus sort of building that partnership. And then the spaces in between that and the way Manchester City attacked really allowed for David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne to sort of diagonally attack spaces and, and put in balls behind and that's a similar thing to what Real Madrid do with Tony Cruz and Luka Modric depending on the off-ball movement of players like Karim Benzema and Ronaldo and, and, and possibly even Bale so it, it was sort of reminiscent of that system and I think it was it was very effective in breaking down Brighton um, a lot of people lamenting the fact that Manchester City you know were struggling to score later or later into the game uh, and you know we still had three center backs on the field, but I think that was that was really almost not necessary, but it was more of the defensive plan of Pep sort of adjusting to the Premier League. You know, teams being direct with Guardiola sides is still very deadly, and, and we dealt with every situation uh, that Brighton you know tried to tried to attack Manchester City directly with very well. The only thing that I would really criticize is that. We, we see more now with, uh, especially with, you know, three-man defensive systems is that that right center back or even left center back sees more of the ball than the central center back does when recycling possession. And he put uh, Vincent Company there, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think he makes some questionable passing decisions. And I'd really rather see even Nicholas Otamendi or, or John Stones. Um, but overall, I was really impressed with the way Manchester City moved forward. Like I said uh, on multiple podcasts, I think 
both Manchester clubs with their buys are preparing for every problem that they will face with multiple solutions. So in this case, it was Brighton. Manchester City are going to use Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero as a partnership to run in behind players and create that space that way against maybe a Manchester United or, or a different team. We'll use Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling in those situations. So I think it's going to be a very exciting attacking year for Manchester City, and I'm excited to see what comes next. Certainly is an exciting attacking year uh, in the league. Uh, a lot of ridiculous goals this this first weekend. Um, anyway, it's fine. Um, there's lots more to come. We're, let's discuss. Uh, let's let's go to Europe. Uh, where would you guys like to start in Europe? Would you rather start in France, uh, Italy, or Spain? I like France. Sure, let's start in France. Uh, Gwynamp uh, and their brand new signings took on PSG and some lesser known guys um neymar and that i'm told and neymar impressed nico he certainly neymar impressed did nico sorry he certainly impressed me and he certainly impressed a lot of people out there i think he he bedded in quite well and and though you know some people are criticizing which i see no, absolutely no point in criticizing uh his, his move to psg you know saying that it's a step down from barcelona and that you know he'll, he'll be facing uh Ginkamp as opposed to real madrid and the supercopa it you know he was impressive and you know you don't always see that right away with with players especially to a team of a caliber like PSG but I think the the cool thing about Neymar especially growing up in my generation is that we we talk so much about confidence and these intangibles but he almost restores a sense of like childhood enjoyment back into the game when when you watch someone like him do such creative things with the ball and he clearly just loves football and loves playing and, and I think he'll with with the the style of football and everything that he was able to do in his first game translating his Barcelona form over to PSG will not be difficult for him and I think he he's as he as he pretty much always has been since arriving in Europe is going to be a very special player to watch yeah certainly so uh, and, and the team around then of course Certainly, yeah, and I think he'll he'll link up really well with Cavani. Cavani, for a long time, I think, in in sort of conjunction with Gonzalo Wayne, has been not necessarily been given the the correct amount of praise. Uh, you know, he he's been one of the top finishers next to Ibrahimovic, and and you know, a little bit below the tiers of Messi and Ronaldo. You know, you have those crazy numbers, those anomaly numbers of Messi and Ronaldo, and then you have more more normal players, but he's certainly towards the, the top end, and I think he'll bring out the best qualities of that. And I, I, a lot of people are worrying about Julian Draxler and sort of where he'll fit into the team, but I, I have faith that uh, Unai Emery will will position him maybe a little bit more centrally, and we'll see some good things out of him. And then I'm actually really excited for the development of Adrian Rabiot under Emery this season as, a, as sort of a modern pressing midfielder that can also do things offensively. I think that team comes together really nicely at a really nice time with all the pieces that they have. Um, so, you know, for all the negativity maybe surrounding Neymar and the transfer and the fee and whatnot, we're going to see some beautiful football. Certainly. So it certainly also looks quite beautiful in that yellow, uh, Dave. Do, do you like that yellow kit, which now seems like great foresight when signing a series of Brazilians hmm tough for him right now he's playing with his pals Danny Alves and Thiago Silva simple that's the reason why it went Nothing to and do Lucas with money. and Lucas Lucas Moro he's never going to play for PSG again like Julian Draxley might as well back his bags to Liverpool now <laughs> crazy you joke Dave but that, that would actually be uh, I mean a signing like that probably would placate a lot of Liverpool fans I think Julian Drax would be perfect for Liverpool if you could potentially play him very centrally. I don't know, it would work quite well with Firmino 
Draxler, um, and then the two lads on the wing. And oh no, he's a German. Yeah, a better, a better, a better, a better French league player for Liverpool though would be Jean Michael Jean Michel Serri, I think, right? Yeah, but he's not going to go Liverpool. Monserri, as we want to call him. Um, yeah, well, why wouldn't he go to Liverpool, Dave? What are you are you putting down? <laughs> Barcelona the little, putting down buy him. <laughs> yeah, but mate, Barcelona want to buy sh- shitting everyone. Yeah, they're going to buy them all. You know Barcelona, they're basically playing Pokemon now. Apparently they're, um, whatever their uh, chairman's called or director or whatever, Jose trending Bart- on Twitter. No, number one on Twitter that says something like in Spanish, he has to go. So, you know, he's going to play Pokemon. He's going to sign Sari. He's going to catch a wild Clefairy. And then probably buy Pikachu as well. Right. Is Sari a Pokemon? I, di- I don't think so. Could be. Okay. Uh, might be one of the extra not one of the original 150 but sort of one of those 300 that sort of came on gold and silver that no one of a memorable generation played slipped through the net portal uh, I think you actually use pokeballs I don't think they're nets anymore Jesus <laughs> um, sorry he slipped through the net at Porto though Chris yeah he was a Porto B for a season um, he's he's Ivorian Porto B <laughs> Um, <laughs> I wish that was what it was. Imagine yeah, he's been mispronouncing it for years. <laughs> Spotting butt to pod butt. <laughs> um, nobody, he's uh, Ivorian, and and uh, I would say kind of got his kickstart in, in Portugal. So he came to Porto B, um, spent a year there, then went to Pacos de Ferrer, um, and then that's when these picked him up in, in 2015. There's no release clause on on him. At forty million, um, it's it's more of a gentleman's agreement with Nice that if someone bids forty million, they'll accept it and he'll be allowed to go. Um, so just really, really, um, I don't know what's the word. Uh, good to them. Yeah, I think it's just very. I think it's, I mean, nice, it's quite a classy, nice, right. classy way to um, to to handle things. I, I'm surprised that that Liverpool haven't looked at him um, or haven't just put a bid in. Um, all things considered because if they've got 80 million for Keita you know they can summon up 40 I imagine for him uh, Barcelona again obviously they've signed Palin they still wonder, doesn't it yeah it's it's. I mean look this is the thing we're not in these meetings so it's it's hard to speculate but I think whoever gets him whether he stays there or not he, he's um, they're going to be a, a very fortunate team and I, and I think if he stays at Nice then all the better for them because they've got some some exciting players coming in this season I know Schneider takes the headlines but I think uh Alan San Maximin is a is a really promising young player that uh, they picked up for a, a decent fee in the context of the season. And Monaco obviously getting that four one win. Dave uh, Monaco revealed a lot of players um, pre season, uh, and you know the, um, keeping Mbappe is going to feel like a signing. Uh, it's a joke. Um, you know, do you do you think that they can challenge PSG again this season? Um, they've gone back to their basics in terms of their goals they're scoring a lot of goals from set pieces this season and they've gone past two players two teams sorry, yeah, beat Toulouse and beat uh, Dijon so they're still doing well but they, they, you know, they are struggling without uh, Bernardo Silva he's been a big loss I think he's a massive loss for their side um, you know he's been Yardim's been tinkering a bit with Yori Tilsman playing him as a right central midfielder and sort of, sort of playing the same role as Bernardo Silva coming in off of the flank uh, Mbappe's out injured so it's Falcao pretty much leading the line scored a hat-trick at the weekend against Dijon so it's kind of like Falcao's Monaco now back again um, supported by you know the likes of Fabinho still in midfield even though he's 
trying to force a move, move at the moment. It's going to be an interesting season for Monaco. I don't think they're going to be able to challenge given PSG's quality. Of, they've got 5,000 attacking midfielders that they just don't need. Guardes mm-hmm. is still there. What's the point? He's an idiot. <sighs> idiot? Wow. A highly well, paid idiot though, Dave. Well, yeah, I'm a well-paid ta- idiot. Ta- tax-free yeah. idiot. Would yeah. you rather be a well-paid idiot or a guy playing for Benfica? Sadly, Dave. Sadly, I don't have that choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know which um, one I'll pick. I'm stuck in Benfica. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good to be back on the pod. Um, which would you rather, Dave? I'd rather play for Benfica. What a historic club. Beautiful. Mm. Some people say being an idiot is also quite a historic thing. Um, also seems like a very contemporary thing. Um, let's go to the Super Copper. Uh, oh, so many uh, lines to pull out with this one. First of all, Dave, uh, we haven't seen it because it's come out during the podcast, but there is a diss track um, that's been released <laughs> by Hugh Wizzy. You've watched it. Is it, um, is it worth all this or is it worth all that? To be honest, I was expecting something that was absolutely atrocious. You know, I'm right. quite quite into my grime music, but I was actually like, this and he didn't <laughs> fail to deliver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is you know, it's quite funny. You know, fair play to him. Right. Um, okay. You know, but you you know that's probably it. I listened to it and never listened to it again. Pretty well. <laughs> as <laughs> as with, <laughs> with most classic albums, um, <laughs> feels like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I know it wasn't, but I, feel, I think I felt it. I listened to it, you know, I've never listened to it. Listen to it once, got everything I need, never listen to it again. <laughs> That's something that'd be worth me to have. You get everything you need from one listen. Um, yeah, okay, wow. It's like a multivitamin in that sense. You never want to sort of go back. Um, yeah, um, but they've got their man, Paulinho, uh, now I think it's best to just leave it there with the Enios. We're all agreed, Chris. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the guys think about this. I mean, to me, I look at that squad and I see someone like Sergi Sampa um, as as a good example of someone who, I think he's got like a nine million pound release clause, a nine million euro release clause. Why is it? Why isn't someone like him being given a chance? I mean. I know Dave sees a good amount of La Liga, so I'd be curious to get his opinion. But to to me, it seems almost um, going against their kind of ethos, if you will, to to bring a 29-year-old in for 40 million who... I think, yeah, you know, Sidlow makes a good point that, you know, we haven't even seen him play yet and people are already decreeing him as the worst signing in the world. I, I think there's still a case to be made that it's, it's not a logical signing or it's not an efficient signing at the same time um, because he is, he's 29, he's not going to get uh, any better and, and yeah, it just it confuses me a lot in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, yes, I mean, it, I guess it's also partly what you want... Um what you want is, I guess it, it's sort of a classic meme of expectation reality, isn't it? Um, it, it sometimes also banter uh, can badly lead a narrative. As this season, we see multiple podcasts slash YouTube channels thinking that somehow just saying things is um, being a journalist. Um, oh, posh boy want to rap? <laughs> uh, I'm Jake Paul's cousin or something. England as you see sure <laughs> I live in London well I don't know what you mean 
Um, anyway, um, lovely, great, great jokes there on a yet another relevant podcast. But Barcelona uh, is indeed Spain is their or Catalonia is probably their city. Um, Spain is Real Madrid's city, um, and they won three one in the first leg of the Supercopa. Nico, there was a Ronaldo incident. It oh no. Nico. Sorry, I didn't catch that last bit. You you cut off. Oh, no, Nico. Ronaldo incident, you know, the second oh, leg. Yes. He's going he's gonna to miss the second leg of the tie. He's also going to miss Valencia, Deportivo, Levante, Real Sociedad. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but have you seen the, uh, the rumours or the conspiracy story that he's going to join AS Monaco? I have seen that. I have seen that. <laughs> it's been floating around Reddit for about two weeks. But I think... Uh, where, Sorry, go ahead. A guy's gone into detail, like he's gone some detailed posts about why it's going to happen with all like the Russian owner of Monaco backed by one of his pals that sponsors Monaco that really want to bring Ronaldo there. Ronaldo wants to go because he wants to, you know, slip out the the shadow of Lionel Messi in La Liga. He's going to sign next week. He's slipping all... into the shadow of Neymar. Wow. Impressive, Lawrence. Impressive. Um, but it just, it's all rubbish, yeah. I think. Well, do you? Did, did you go through? Did you go through the entire thread, Dave? I thought it was interesting. That was a really interesting story, even though it's like complete rubbish. I found it fascinating. I think people on Reddit, our soccer, have just upvoted it for. Obviously, they find it funny because this guy that thinks, no, whether it's a wind up or whatever it is, it's it's all fun and games. Until someone goes to Monaco. Imagine if that happened. That'd be bonkers. We, uh, I mean, obviously, he'd be somewhat of a fit. Uh, Mbappe would have to change his game a little. Um, but then, of course, Mbappe would possibly so go part, the other part way. Part of it, yeah, part of it is Mbappe moves to Madrid. Ronaldo yeah. moves to Monaco. And Gareth Bale wasn't uh, Wasn't Kylian Mbappe pretty close to joining PSG as well? I, th- I think he... I mean, people talk about him wanting to join PSG, don't they? Because, of, of course, Paris was his... Oh, yeah, Paris was a city as Paris a kid. Paris is a city. Um, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's just uh, there's that, isn't there? And I mean, imagine that. But surely, then you're looking at Neymar in a more central role or whatever. And it's a, the problem is it almost that centralization or that central like yeah centralization of talent almost feels like a bit of a waste of all those players. Why is that? But I mean, it's not it's not always the case that uh, having all the best in inverted commas players or most high profile players means the best team. No, uh, but I don't, maybe, I don't think you know, that that that, you know, congruence of talent would necessarily be the just be the plan for the, the owners of PSG or whoever is trying to coordinate the, the moves there. I think it would. That all you're right. They do seem considered. Be, you do. They do seem considered and unhammer like in the way that they operate. Definitely, um, but I think you know, sort of speaking to the to the plan that that PSG had, I think they could have never planned for. Obviously, there there are there are there's evidence that PSG have been trying to make a, a move similar to this for for a long time, and maybe this was certainly the, the plan A, but they definitely had other plans to go to. And I think the, the supporting cast around Neymar and even someone like Kylian Mbappe, if he were to join, is is the the really what they have been building for for a long time players like Marco Verratti producing players and and uh, continuing to develop players like Marquinhos and and getting Verratti wants surge. to leave does he because he's still there you know 
Well, no, I'm quite aware of that. But I mean, he, um, he, apparently he doesn't want to go. He, want, he wanted to go join uh, Barcelona, didn't he? And obviously Barcelona made... Uh, but I think, but I think even then, you know, players like Adrian Rabiot and Thiago Silva and all these guys, uh, the supporting cast around the, uh, around Neymar now, um, you know, obviously Marco Verratti leaving would be a, a huge miss, especially since how you know how crucial he is to to their midfield and everything he, he's able to do because he is an exceptional player. I think he coordinates things really well, and and he is he would be a rightful heir to the sort of Xavi Iniesta throne at Barcelona. It would be a really good move for him, but the supporting players around Neymar right now is more sort of the idea. I think people think that they just want to shell this money out at Neymar and that was the plan to win the Champions League, but they've been building towards this for a long time and they have a pretty well-structured team. So I wouldn't really be that surprised if they won the Champions League either this year or next year. Really? Mm-hmm. I think they have everything I think, I think there's a, Yeah, it is kind of unusual one. There is obviously a lot of resentment, I think, uh, towards PSG currently in Europe. Um, and they're not, I mean, Chris, is it fair to, I mean, you, you sort of, you interact with a few more on the continent journalists. They are known for being a bit of a bitchy club, aren't they? Uh, who's that, sorry? PSG. Um, yeah, they're, they're I mean, they're, there's a, a firmly strong, a, a very strong belief rather that the, the Neymar deal is partly a consequence of Barcelona trying to unsettle Verratti and that the second the PSG knew they could, um, secure Neymar, they they went after him um, because it was that idea of uh, you know you're trying to take our jewel and we'll, we'll take yours. Um, and I think yeah, there was a good portion of it that he's a wonderful talent. He moves them up to that next level. He's also the marquee player, I think, to replace the, the Zlatan-sized hole that um, that had formed over the last twelve months. But I also think yeah, there were there was. At least some of it, I think, that was rooted in pettiness and and wanting to get one over on Barcelona and and showing that you know a bit of a, a pissing contest, if you will, for for one of a more poetic phrase. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the 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 shirt sponsorship deal was one that wasn't taken very well in Qatar. Part of the problem, possibly, being Chris, that uh, it it now looks as if Qatar, instead of investing the money in uh, actually paying their workers. Uh, reasonable rates is spending it to PR their way out of this one yeah I still have a lot of um, awkward feelings about the whole Qatar World Cup and that whole process because to me so much of it just doesn't sit right and doesn't um, a lot let's put this way a lot of the people who are defending Qatar are people with vested interests in Qatar would you boycott Um, watching the World Cup it's very difficult to uh, for, for, for the, I, I think, um, I mean, yeah, there's different, there's different levels, isn't there? There's watching, there's going, there's, uh, I say participating. I don't mean playing, obviously, but you know, being involved in in some uh, with some financial benefit. Let's say, yeah, I, I'd be willing to personally. I think, I think, look, unfortunately, a lot of the damage has already been done. There are people who've already died, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. But I think at the same time. You don't just abandon your principles because the moment's over. You you have to stay true to them. And and while I appreciate FIFA is always attempting to to widen the scope of include inclusion and and bring countries into it that maybe aren't traditional like the U you know like the US or or even uh, you know Central European nations, 
I think at the same time they have to have their side of things taken care of. It's it's one thing to bring the likes of Russia and Qatar in, but if they're not welcoming and inclusive, I don't know what benefit it serves other than to reinforce the beliefs they already held. Yeah, certainly it's a tricky one. I mean, you could you could also say then you know you shouldn't buy, uh, you know maybe a, a PSG jersey or you shouldn't buy um, a maybe even a Fly Emirates jersey. Um, you know uh, hard things that's the thing you choose the hill you die on you know that's, you you set your own uh, personal principles in, in relation to that and, and what you want to accept but then um, you don't you also don't get to choose uh, well I guess the issue is you don't get to choose who your team is sponsored by you know for instance I haven't chosen that Liverpool would put a print of Western Union on their left sleeve this season um, and nor would I now want to buy I previously considered to be a fairly classic looking kit um with a giant yellow logo of western union on the arm 100 percent. but then i think you know that's that to me is a direct consequence of the direction the game has moved into where there was a time you would maybe have a a committee or a board or even something like that i mean there was a time when the shirt sponsors didn't exist but even in the, the modern era as they've become more um prevalent there's a time where that would be run by or run past people you know you look at the German model of 50 plus 1 where people have a vote on these kind of things that's where you can decide what you do and I think St. Pauli is probably a good example of a club that that still tries to adhere to that or at least work with companies that are reflective of their ideology and I think that's the difficulty is that in what is to me an arms race for the top clubs to always be succeeding always be performing always have the best players it's very easy to abandon principles when you know that, that that sponsorship will bring you potentially half of the fee for a new midfielder or something like that. It's it, Like I said, it's very... I, I would say if there's something I've learned this summer, it's very expensive to have principles. Wow. Uh, yeah, okay, very good point. Um, we didn't... Re- part of it, we uh, sort of got a bit uh, dislodged there or... Uh, taken off track uh, did we think Ronaldo deserved a red card no uh, do you think it's a fair four game ban Dave five it's a five game ban right well it's four, four, it's four for obviously push. for the push yeah obviously I'm saying four, four for the push one I mean obviously if you get a red card then you know you deserve deserve to have the one yeah, I think the referee's fully right to send them off and do um, La Liga are fully right to ban him for four games that's what he did I don't think you can argue with that really uh, yeah very good point um, Mar- Marco Sensio though Dave I mean uh, it, it almost doesn't matter that he got sent uh, that Ronaldo got sent off because the future of the club is standing right there exactly the player that's you know exploded onto the scene last season in um, the European Super Cup scored a wonder goal against Sevilla um, for Real Madrid has just kept on doing it in finals. What he scored in the, the Champions League final, he scored in a Super Cup final. He's just a you know he's an absolute outstanding player, um, and will get better and better. And again, the, you know you think how Barcelona have gone down the absolute you know they're falling down a path of forgetting what youth development is or bringing young players to the club and evolving them there. Real Madrid are doing that to you know doing that absolutely perfectly right now. And you think about the Real Madrid B team as I call it that will play towards the back end of the season in the league as Zidane chases a third European title in a row 
that's what we'll see. We'll play, see players like Asensio, Rockin and, and uh, Sabalos in midfield together, which will be a beautiful sight. So the future is so bright for Real Madrid when it's the flip side. You know, you look at Barcelona last summer, they signed one of the most talented centre-halves for 27 million quid in Samuel Mtiti. And, and what have they done this summer? Absolutely nothing. They've, they've fallen away. And I think it's, it's so interesting to see how you know the the sort of media supports Real, the media supports Barca, and how it flips and interchanges depending on like five six year cycles where one will focus on youth development and do really well, and then the other one will spend all the money and then it'll go it'll flip back to the other side, and one will focus on the youth and the other one will spend money, and it's quite an interesting narrative that that seems to have been in La Liga maybe since around 2004 should I say maybe 2005 and it's just you know since the Galacticos sort of came out and, and Barca went down that route so it's, it's yeah it's, it's fascinating La Liga but essentially what a talent you could say that, that Barcelona and Real Madrid have sort of gone done very similar things it's just that the media coverage has been very different you know a couple of years ago with not more than a couple of years ago now but with Pep Guardiola being uh, promoted from from a youth team manager or not a youth team manager but you know not a first team manager to uh, the first team manager and then making use of a bunch of youth products and then Zinedine Zidane 10 years down the line doing the same thing and there's a great comparison um, like Arda Turan uh, Andre Gomez and Paulinho 115 million euros for that same price, or for €3 million Euros more, uh, Real Madrid have signed Tony Cruz, Isco, Modric, Asensio, and Sabalos. Uh, there's one place I'd like to put my money. Uh, it was straight into their bank accounts. No, actually, them. I want to sign Guardas from PSG and bring him back to Benfica so we can play up front together. <laughs> okay. uh, excellent stuff. There is... Uh, there's good shit to come uh, in that league. Uh, who held their T-shirt up better? Definitely Messi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does, everyone, does everyone else in the podcast agree? No, nah, Ronaldo. How has Ronaldo held it up better if he gets a red card? It was revenge. And then he got sent off. It's like the classic Zinedine Zidane. It's like being an he idiot. Just, he, he it's like, Zidane, it's like being it? an idiot with your shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think there's a problem in doing that, Nico. <laughs> you do it all the time. Exactly, and I don't even play for PSG. Nice. This track's coming. <laughs> there is actually, there's quite a good tweet, I think, uh, that came uh, um, that came from, I'm trying to find it right now. Uh, let me see. It's quite a good question. Um which player you know, Manchester United no boring should Chelsea Blank. sign Danny Drinkwater is that the question uh, please try to keep Dave in check <laughs> um, da, da, da. I've been really interested to hear someone other than Dave talk about Manchester United um, <laughs> if covering the Super Cup blah, blah, blah. why isn't Dave blonde um, that certainly is a, a big question it's a good um, question why what, isn't Dave blonde there's technical uh, issues Nico technical sort of issues with your no, with his face. Um, which <laughs> member of the front Woody. three great podcasts could make the best diss track? And to which Premier League footballer could it be aimed at? I feel like Hashtag I feel YT like, money. I feel like Chris like has really witty. Uh, as always chiming in with the witty stuff, and and I feel like Chris does have, Yeah, Chris. Yeah, Chris would have like bars. I feel yeah, like Chris so really, really like <laughs> MF MF Doom style bars. Yeah, sort of. You have to sit there and think about you it have for to a really, while. You know, absorb. Chris, who would you? Conjures. Would you sort of go for a Pardew uh, disc, Chris, or um, maybe it's a Soko? 
Nah, it's just Sokos irrelevant. Um, <laughs> oh, you see, that, you've there. already written He's your already first line. <laughs> yeah, good. P- probably after the weekend, I'd be tempted to go Shelby. <laughs> good. Um, if I'm okay. honest. Um, I'm trying to think of someone who who really does just kind of get my, my back up, though. It's the thing, there's no one... I've been out of the Premier League for a year, so there's no one that really annoys me. Imagine being so hey, irrelevant that you thought you had to make a diss track about someone. Um, let's talk about it, Dave. I mean, who would you diss first? Would you diss? I mean, Dave, there's a there's a line of people you could diss in the Premier League. Rafa Benitez mm. would be perfect for you. Yeah, you, um, you bloody dare. Yeah, yeah. Go, for, go for Rafa. That'd be a good start. Would you? Yeah. yeah. Um, move on to want... Pep Guardiola because he's bald. Okay, fair. I mean, you. You're I would like to up. change my answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what? Jose Mourinho is sort of due a diss track, isn't he? He's gone. Mm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's sort of, you don't. You know, you don't just have to pick people who are losing their hair. You can just sort of go for people. Um, I don't think he is going bald, but you know, he's going. Mourinho has a. Oh, mine, yeah. mine's going to be on Billich. Simple. Oh yeah, exa- yeah. Got but that's almost Billich, too right? easy, Dave. It's yeah. almost too easy. Yeah, you don't want to kicking a man when he's down. Yeah. You got ninety-nine problems, and your hair is one. <laughs> well, that, it actually works perfect because you could diss West Ham, and you could say you got ninety-nine problems, but Billich ain't one. <laughs> Hit me. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, although Billich is probably, although then the the line uh, preceding or is it pre- uh, preceding or proceeding. Proceeding, uh, that could of course be. Of course, Billich is actually your biggest problem. Get rid of him, you idiots. That doesn't rhyme. Uh, you've you've not heard the full couplet. Um, I would go for who would I go for? Adam Boltwood, just for not being present. Wow. Uh, which is low because the reason Boltwood's here is actually not his own fault, and actually we feel sorry for the Boltwood for the reason he isn't here. Uh, we can't tell you the reason. Um, really interested to see what tier three uh, has. Well, you're re- proud of yourself, Spencer. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's not so related. It isn't Spencer related. Uh, hashtag the real diss track. Um, don't forget to thrash tag it, Chris. Uh, just before we go, uh, let's talk very quickly about Kaka being sent off using VAR. Yeah, it, it was a really funny one. This, um, he essentially, the mustache, I mean, it, I, yeah, I thought it was quite. I assumed it was grabbing hold of Aurelian Colin, but there was nothing. Um, there was nothing really aggressive in it. It was quite playful. I mean, Colin was smiling. Um, he he kind of like okay, I was going to say reached round, but kind of leant over and kind of grabbed his face from behind um, and was just like you know playing with it essentially. Um, and Colin turned around fairly jovial. I know my words have been terrible in this story. Um, and yeah, it was just, it's all very curious. It, but he, he ended up being sent off because of VAR. Yeah. So, they, so they're using VAR, um, a lot more. Uh, it's, it's, I must confess, it's not the most, uh, grandiose setup at the minute. It's often a, a TV screen on the side of the field, but it's, it's, it's having its highs and its lows. I would say early on, um, it's it's really kind of uh, interesting to see MLS sort of a, approach this and and try it first and try and be at the forefront of it. Um, 
Yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious to see how it works across the rest of the season. Do you think it's a lot more welcome because it's already prevalent in uh, other sports like basketball, etc.? Um, I think that, yeah, I think whenever... That's the thing. I think there's a lot of uh, translation between the different American sports. The, they obviously all have single entity um, and I think because of that, there's a culture of if it works in one, then it works in the other. So I think the same applies with analytics, really. You're seeing a rise in that in, in American football, too. It's not a bad point. Uh, that is where we're going to end the podcast this week, unless anyone has any further notes. Dave, are you bringing back the Statman Day football podcast this week? Not sure. Maybe not. Excellent. Um, Nico, are you doing a podcast this week? Not sure. Maybe not. I might do a video That's this fair. week, though. You, you, you know, you, you're the you're the the arbiter of that. So. Uh, we may make a series of videos, uh, it, but it's all very dependent uh, upon a lot of things. Um, uh, Nico might be coming to London sometime soon as well, which would be great. Uh, let Nico know where to go in London, where to stay, what to do, etc. Et if you want to meet up, if you want to meet up, hit me up. Uh, I don't think he's speaking to us there, guys. I think he's genuinely talking to the people who are listening in London because he's already agreed some of us. Um, and of course, uh, Chris, uh, what have you got coming out? Uh, that's a very good question. What have I got? Nothing, I think, at the minute other than this wonderful podcast. Yes, of course, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Uh, thank you for joining us for this extra sort of bumper edition. We didn't give you the long... I think we gave you a very long preview uh, but it was late uh, and for that we're going to make up for it this week um, so thank you very much for joining us we will see you again I think on Thursday and then again I think on Monday or sort of Tuesday by the time this one comes out uh, we're enjoying the podcast again this season uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you guys uh, we're very much open to taking it forward if you want to share that we are back with your friends please do that and we'd love to see you right here. Uh, all the links to everyone are, are in the descriptions. And there's a lot that uh, the guys on the team are getting on with. We'll see you again real soon right here on TF3. Mom deserves the best. And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.